monsters are most dangerous and most real. The Monsters Within. This week, we look at the monster of Envy. Well, good morning, everybody. My name's Dave. I'm one of the pastors here and super excited to be with you. Uh, my question at all of our campuses is this. You probably all have one of these. Have you ever done that thing where you have a certain number iPhone and you love it? Like, it's great. It does pictures. It does internet. It does the interweb. It does everything you want it to do. And then someone gets the next number of phone after you. And now you look at your pictures and everybody looks a little uglier on your pictures. And your phone doesn't seem to go as fast as it used to. And it's just not as good as anymore. And your phone is just trash now because they've come out with a new one. Have you ever done that before? Yeah. And you get jealous of that person. Um, or if you've done the thing where you get a new car and you're super excited about the new car and then you find out just six months later they come out with one that has like the heated grip steering wheel and you think, how did I ever live without something like that? How am I going to make it through the winter without my toasty fingers getting warm? And I get jealous of that. Do you know they now have speakers in the headrests of cars? I mean, I can't believe that. They now have cars that will crab walk sideways, all the wheels turn. And you know, when I was driving in today, I loved my car, but now that I find these things out, I'm like, I don't like this at all. And I get jealous of the people around me that have the things that I don't have, can do the things that I can't do. Let me ask you just kind of off the, off, the, off, the, off the cuff here. You ever wished that you had someone else's job? You ever wished you had someone else's talent? Someone else's car, someone else's boat, someone else's motorcycle, someone else's looks? You ever wish you had someone else's hair? Right? I mean, I thought I had a forehead, but I looked in the mirror at one point and I think, I think it's a five head now. I really do. It's like, <laughs> it's going back. You ever wish you had somebody else's vacations? Someone else's home, someone else's vacation home. <laughs> you ever wish you had someone else's kids? Hmm. Someone else's number of friends on social media. Can we do this just at all of our campuses? Just kind of knock the, the, the rust off here. If you've ever struggled with any, in any way with envy, would you just raise your hand everywhere, all of us? Look at that. Good, I'm not the only one. I am so glad. I think envy is one of those monsters within that we kind of go, oh, it's not that big a deal. But I'll tell you, if you're not careful, it can creep into your heart. It can, it can infect your soul, your mind. And the next thing you know, it can begin to destroy your life, begin to kill your joy. There's an old fable about envy that goes like this. There were two shopkeepers. And they were, they were across the street from each other, and they were just constantly in competition with each other. When one would make a sale, they would go outside and just kind of tip their hat to the other one with a little smirk on their face. Oh, they just were in such competition with each other. One night, an angel came to one of the shopkeepers and said, I'll tell you what, I'll grant any wish that you have, but you need to understand that when I grant your wish, I'm going to give that other person, your competitor, twice as much as what I give you. So if I give you $100,000 for capital improvements, they're going to get $200,000. 
in capital improvements. If you want to uh, 3x your business, you just need to understand that they're going to 6x their business. So make your wish carefully. And the guy thought about it for a minute and he went, make me blind in one eye. Isn't that horrible? I mean, that's rough. You know, they, they, they say that you get green with envy, but I think in some ways you do get blind with envy. Blind to the goodness of God in your own life because you are so hyper-focused on the goodness of God in someone else's life. You, you become blind to all the good things that God is doing in your life because you're looking at what God is doing in someone else's life and it just creates such discontent. It robs you of joy. It, it, it just creates a, 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 a desire that, that is not met. I wrote it down this way. Beware becoming bitter, believing others have it better. Isn't that good? It's kind of fun. You want to say it with me? Just for fun? Okay, let's do it. Uh, repeat after me. Beware becoming bitter. Believing others have it better. That's pretty good. Beware becoming bitter. Believing others have it better. Now, this monster has been around for a long time. This is not a new monster. It's been around a long time. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Genesis 29. And in Genesis 29, Jacob, a guy named Jacob, is on the run from his brother Esau. They had a fight over some land. And now Jacob is kind of running for his life with his, his family. And, and his mom and dad say, why don't you go home um, go home and, and, and find safety there? And so he, he travels back to their homeland. And he's trying to find a wife. And he arrives at his uncle's home just as his cousin Rachel is bringing the sheep out to get uh, some water. And Jacob introduces himself to her and she rushes off to tell her father Laban about their long lost relative is home. Well, Jacob comes uh, into the village and Laban, the family just sort of embraces him. Laban offers him a job and we're going to be in verse 15. Laban says to him, you shouldn't work for me without pay just because we're relatives. So tell me how much your wages should be. And Jacob gives it some thought, and he says, well, Rachel's kind of cute. How about I marry your daughter? Now, if you're from Chicago, you just went, hold on, wait a second. Jacob wants to marry his cousin. What is up with that? But if you're like my family and you're from Kentucky, <laughs> eh, not, not that big a deal. Okay. So in verse 16, <laughs> all right. Now, Laban had two daughters. The older daughter's name was Leah, and the younger daughter's name was Rachel. And there was no sparkle in Leah's eyes. Now, in the Hebrew, it basically says she had weak eyes. So we're not quite sure how to translate that. Uh, but basically, no sparkle in Leah's eyes. But this is very clear about Rachel. Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. And so uh, Jacob kind of takes a look at both these daughters and says, well, I, I want the one with the beautiful figure and the lovely face because men are pigs. Okay, Gen Genesis 18. Since Jacob was in love with Rachel, he told her father, I'll work for you for seven years if you'll give me Rachel, your younger daughter, as my wife. Agreed, 
Laban replied. I'd rather give you to her than to anybody else. You, you stay and you work with me. And so Jacob worked seven years to pay for Rachel, but his love for her was so strong that it seemed to him but a few days. Aww. Isn't that romantic? He's working for seven years, but it feels like just a few days that he had to work to buy his wife as property. <laughs> what is going on? This is, this is sort of a shocking deal to us. We're not used to this culture that, that women were actually property in those days. They were the property of their father until they got married and then they became the property of their husband. And I just want to point out that the Bible never affirms this. The Bible is not promoting this. This is just the way the culture was. In fact, this is one of the things we love about Jesus is that when he comes on the scene, Jesus just elevates the value of women. Jesus takes a, a culture that is just, just, just so oppressive to women. He says, you know what? We're going to bring women onto my ministry team. We're going we're to appear to women after the resurrection and trust them with big responsibility. It's one of the things that we love about Jesus. But right now, Jacob is a couple of thousand years away from the gender equality that Jesus brings into the scene. And he ends up purchasing his wife with seven years of labor. Verse 21. Finally, the time came for him to marry her. I have fulfilled my agreement, Jacob said to Laban. Now give me my wife so that I can sleep with her. He, it's a very odd conversation to have with your father-in-law, but that's <laughs> what he said. So Laban invited everyone in the neighborhood and prepared a wedding feast. But that night when it was dark, Laban took Leah to Jacob and he slept with her. And when Jacob woke up in the morning, it was Leah he says, what have you done to me? Somehow, in the midst of it being, I don't know, a dark tent. I don't know if there was a wedding veil involved. I, I don't know if, if I, well, I tell you what's probable is that after a wedding celebration, these folks were just pretty tipsy. They're probably pretty drunk, and, 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 and he gets tricked. And he's raging at Laban. He says, I worked seven years for Rachel. Why have you tricked me? It's not our custom here to marry off a younger daughter ahead of a firstborn. Laban replied, <laughs> but wait until the bridal week is over and then we'll give you Rachel too. Provided you provide, promise to work another seven years for me. So Jacob agreed to work seven more years. And a week after Jacob had married Leah, Laban gave him Rachel as well. And this story just gets more and more and more kind of messed up. I mean, it's, it's unfair to Jacob that he got tricked. It's unfair to, to, to Leah that, that she was the firstborn and yet she wasn't going to be the one that was, that was going to be married first. It, it, it wasn't fair to Rachel because she was in love with, her, uh, with Jacob and, and, and Leah becomes the one that consummates the marriage. It's unfair. Unfair to the, the future children of these people. you got two sisters marrying their cousin, so now they're going to call Jacob Uncle Dad, which is a very strange thing. Genesis 30. So Jacob slept with Rachel too, and he loved her much more than Leah. He then stayed and worked for Laban the additional seven years, and when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he enabled her to have children. But Rachel 
could not conceive. And if ever there was a situation that was ripe for envy to emerge, it's this one. Where you have such intimate, powerful relationships and, and you have one wife that doesn't really have the same kind of love from her husband as the other wife does. And then you have one wife that can't have children like the others. And in those days, that was, that was dishonorable. That was, you, you felt like you were failing your husband. That, that, was, that, was, that was a big deal. And so these two are just such in a situation where envy is going to break out in a big way. And I, I just want to push pause on our story right there. Because in any situation that you find yourself, you're probably not going to find yourself in that situation, but all of us find ourselves in situations from time to time when envy will rear its ugly head. And so I want to give you just a few things to think about when you find yourself envious of someone else. And then there's going to be a cure, an antidote to envy that comes from this story that we'll come back to in just a little bit and close out. But let me just give you a couple things to think about when you deal with envy. How do you overcome envy? One, consider the cost of envy. Consider the cost of envy. Proverbs 14:30 says, "A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones." Consider the cost of envy. Guys, envy has no upside. Envy has no, no, no upside, no reason that you want to do it. I mean, out of the seven deadly sins, envy is the one that has no fun at all. <laughs> There's no upside to it. I mean, like with, um, with sloth, we studied sloth a few weeks ago. You know, there's a long-term cost to sloth. If you're, if you're lazy, if you're slothful, then you're probably not going to do well at work. You're, you're probably going to get out of shape, whatever it is. You, 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 there's a long-term cost to sloth. But in the short term, you get to sleep in. And that's a good thing, you know. You get to stay on the couch a little bit longer. You get to hit that. I mean, who doesn't like to hit that snooze button one more time? Some people get up and say, good morning, Lord. And some people get up and say, good Lord, it's morning. Okay, so... Sloth has an upside, something about it that's tempting for you to do. Gluttony, same way. Gluttony over the long term is going to get you out of shape. It's going to get you uh, uh, um, uh, with no energy. It's going to get you having to buy bigger clothes. You know, gluttony is, 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 has a long-term negative effect. But in the short term, ooh, I get to eat a cheeseburger. I get to have... More alcohol. I get to enjoy these things. It, it has something that I want in the short term. But envy from the very beginning is no fun at all. As soon as I feel envious, I feel bad. As soon as I choose to be jealous, I lose my joy. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Beware becoming bitter, believing others have it better. And then look at this in James 3.16. Count the cost of envy. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. In other words, envy leads to other sins. What is the cost of envy? Envy is like a, like a gateway sin. <laughs> it, it leads to other problems. 
I'm envious of my partner's success. So in order to compete with him in sales, I'm going to lie and cheat in order to, 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 to make up the sales and get ahead. I'm so envious of my neighbor's lifestyle. And so I'm going to let greed get the better of me. And I'm going to borrow way too much money, way more than I can afford. And I'm going to deal with the stress of that for years to come. I'm envious of my sister's looks. And so I let pride creep up within me and I get addicted to, to, to diet pills or, 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 or an eating disorder or I get addicted to plastic surgery or something, whatever it's going to be, or I have to buy too many nice clothes or all these different things that, that one thing leads to something else. And envy, when you have envy, you have every sort of evil practice. You know, Sean Williams, South Berrien campus pastor here, teaching pastor on our team. He taught about wrath last week. Did such a good job. He's here today, all the campuses, he's here today. Thank you, Sean, so much for what you did. And I, I just want to say, such a great job. And I just want to say in front of everybody, use your notes more, okay? You are re- making the rest of us look bad, is what I'm saying. You... <laughs> He taught on envy, and you talked about Cain and Abel. Do you remember this if you were here last week? Cain was envious of Abel, and do you remember what came next? Murder? And I think, oh my goodness, I mean, I, I kind of want to dismiss that, honestly. Like, well, that can't happen. You can't be envious of somebody and it lead to murder, and then... USA Today, 1997, tells the story of a murdered 17-year-old cheerleader. The girl was well-liked, not into drugs or alcohol. There was no robbery or rape involved. No one could figure out why anyone would kill the girl. The police investigation finally led to a classmate who, after hours of interrogation by police, confessed to killing the girl for taking the spot she wanted on the cheerleading squad. Count the cost of energy. I mean, what? I can't imagine that happening. And yet that's, that's what happened. And I, I've never, you know, I've never, I've never experienced envy leading to murder. But, you know, I've seen envy kill people's joy. I, I've seen envy kill people's relationships. I've seen envy kill people's peace. So count the cost. Beware becoming bitter, believing others have it better. Count the cost. Second thing I'd share with you is this. You want to overcome envy? Confess it to God. Bring that feeling that you have. As soon as you feel it, bring it to God. Some amazing things happen when you bring envy into the presence of the almighty living God. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you what happens. Envy is based on lies. Envy is based on lies. Lies like, if only I had what they had, then I would be happy, fulfilled, at peace. If only I had what they had. That's a lie. That's not true. Uh, a lie that would say something like, you know what? God blesses that person so much. They, he, they, they, he, he loves them so much. There seems to be so many good things that they, and things that they, bad things that they don't have to deal with. God loves them so much. Why doesn't he love me as much as he loves them? And that's a lie. It's not true. Or to look at somebody and say, you know what? That person has a perfect life. 
They don't deal with anything. Just look at them. They don't, they don't ever have any problems. That's a lie. Those, those are lies, and it's just not true. And so when you bring your envy into God's presence, the light of God's truth is able to expose the, the deception. It's able to, 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 to cast out the darkness. Listen to how this happens with King David. In Scripture, uh, we have David's prayer journal, basically, in Psalm 73. Watch what King David says. He says in verse 3, I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I envied them when I saw their prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. This is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They just go on amassing wealth. Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever think things like that when you look at the people that you're jealous of, the people that you're envious of? Well, it's just not true. Everybody has problems. No, no one is free from common human burdens because everyone is a common human. There's a great meme uh, online. I couldn't find it or I'd share it with you uh, visually, but, but here's how it goes. You, you'll get it. There's a guy on a bicycle, and he's looking over uh, from the sidewalk onto the street where there's a guy in a shiny sports car. And on top of the guy on the bicycle is his little thought cloud says, I wish I had a job like that guy so that I could afford a car like that. You'd expect a thought like that. But what's interesting is there's a thought bubble above the guy in the car that says he's looking over at the guy on the bike and he says, I wish I had a job like that guy that would afford me the time to go out and take a nice bike ride. Be very careful when you want to trade lives with someone else because the truth is you just don't know. You, you just don't know what's going on in their life. The people that you envy, maybe they're stressed out under a mountain of debt. I hope not, but maybe they are. Who knows the, the quality of their relationships? Maybe their life looks perfect, but they have a chronic illness. Or maybe their kids are suffering. Be careful to be so ready to trade lives with someone else. David goes on in verse 16, he says, When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply until I entered the sanctuary of God. And then I understood. I brought it to God in prayer, and now I'm starting to understand their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors? And David now realizes that their lives are just as fragile as his. They go from free from common human burdens to on a slippery ground and swept away by terrors. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, he said, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you, God, when I was, when I was bitter and envious. Yet I, I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You, you guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you're going to take me to glory. 
Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth, listen to this perspective, and earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And you just hear the change of perspective and the contentment washing over David's mind and heart. Count the cost of envy. Confess it. Bring it to God in prayer. Then the third one is this, celebrate others. Celebrate other people. So instead of resenting the good things that God is doing in someone else's life, celebrate it. Romans 12, 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice. So if you wanted the promotion, but somebody else got the promotion, you walk up, you shake their hand, you look them in the eyes, and you say, hey, congratulations. Congratulations. Or if you are pining away, praying to get married, and somebody from college sends you that wedding invitation because they found their certain someone, you know what? You put on your best dress or your best suit, and you go to that wedding, and you make a toast to that couple, and you tell them, I'm happy for you. You celebrate others. When I was in... uh, Michigan leading a church, there was a pastor who called me up on the phone out of the blue and he said, Dave, hey, um, I want you to know we're going to open up a second campus and I'm calling you. We, we just got this new building. It was donated to us. It's an incredible opportunity. And I'm telling you because it's, it's like a mile down the road from one of your campuses. So he's going to put his campus like a mile down the road from one of my campuses. And because I am a pastor... I am not competitive in any way, shape, or form. And my motives are always righteous. <laughs> Which is not true. He said those words, and I just confess to you, like, I was threatened. I was, I was tensing up. I was not excited about, you know, opening up the ch- Oh, no, I don't want this to happen. And so I had to will myself to say the words, hey, that's great, man. I'm happy for you. In fact, um, you're going to need to renovate your space and you're going to need some equipment. So our church would like to give your church money to help make that happen. And he couldn't believe I was saying that. And I couldn't believe I was saying that. (laughs) And we hung up the phone and about six months later, they opened up their campus and they had 750 people at that brand new church, at that brand new location. And that was super exciting. Yeah. And I sent, them a te- I sent him a text and I said, <laughs> guys, because we'd been kind of texting back and forth. So I sent him a text and I said, now had you had 500, I'd have been happy for you. But at 750, I'm just jealous. And he texted me back and he said, you need to know that without your partnership, without your prayers, without your community, we could have never made it happen, which was very gracious because it's not true. It wasn't true. Um, But he was gracious enough to be humble. I'm being humble to him. He's being humble to me. And do you know what? We've been great friends ever since. And we celebrate each other's wins. And I, I wish I was smart enough to tell you why celebrating others works I'm not. I just know that it does. There's something about it that short circuits envy. 
that there's something about it that I don't know, maybe it somehow puts you, it empowers you somehow. I don't know if it like puts you on the same team with them. And so now you're on this. I don't know what it is. I will just tell you that when you're envious of someone, you ought to count the cost of it. You ought to confess it to God and you ought to come to that part. You ought to celebrate God's goodness in their life and watch what God does. And then finally, choose contentment. And this is going to bring us back to our story. And this really is the core, the antidote. This is the the key to overcoming envy. You come back to the story. You need to understand now that there's going to be some babies come up and and we're going to name those babies. And you need to understand in that culture that they named babies. It meant something very powerful when you named a baby. It was was connecting to who they, they saw you as and who they saw you becoming. It was almost prophetic in your life the way they would name these babies. This is why you do not see a lot of dummets in the Bible. Um... Because names meant something different. All right, verse 31. When the Lord saw Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive. But Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. And Reuben means this, behold a son. And you can just see it here that Leah thinks that the cure for what she's feeling, the, the, the void, the, the missing piece in her life is the love of her husband. And, and if she can just bear him a son, if she can just Reuben, then she will, she will be able to overcome what's missing in her life. But then she conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved He gave me this one too. And so she named him Simeon because Simeon meant that the Lord hears. And so she is still focused. She's coming to God and she's saying, hey God, I know what I need to overcome my envy. I know what I really need to fulfill my life. It is to get a child because if I get another child, it's probably a second child. If I get a second child, then my husband will finally love me. And that's what I need to fill my life out, to make me complete. You complete me. I need, I need the love of a man. Verse 34, again she conceived. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi, which means union or attached or coming together. And you stand back at this moment and you see a woman who's celebrating having children, which is a good thing. But you're almost sad because she keeps trying to fill this void in her heart with a child that would attract the love of a husband. And she tries again and again and again, and it doesn't work. There's something missing. And I don't know if you can relate or if you've ever been able to relate to that that journey, that feeling of of having this sort of something missing in your life and and trying trying to fix it whether it's you've had envy or discontent or greed or whatever you deal with it is you're trying to you're trying to put something in there that will fill it out or you try to medicate it with a bottle or you try to try to achieve 
more and more and more. And then you just go and go again. If you ever just get tired, I just, she's three kids in and she's still just not satisfied, not fulfilled. And in verse 35, she conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. This time I will praise the Lord. And so she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. Now I want you to understand what happened there. Judah means I will praise the Lord. Judah is mentioned a thousand times or more in in scripture. Judah, if you go to the lineage in Matthew 1, the gospel, you will see that it was Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, all the way down to Jesus. Jesus is in the line of Judah. And once she realizes that she can stop trying to go be fulfilled by the love of a man and begin to understand that she could be fulfilled by a relationship with God, then she can stop having kids. She can stop chasing something that's never going to fulfill her. And she ends up producing the lineage of Jesus, who is the cure for envy. For when Jesus takes a hold of your life, when Jesus changes your life, envy makes no sense anymore. When Jesus took a man who was born blind and said, be, be, have sight, and, and the man can now see, Does the man walk down the street going, oh, I wish I were a little taller. I wish my hair were a little fuller. That makes no sense at all. He skips down the street praising God because Jesus has changed his life. The woman who was caught in adultery, who by Mosaic law would have been embarrassed by everyone and stoned. Her life was over and Jesus said, they don't condemn you, I don't condemn you either. He saves her life. Does she get up the next day and go to her wardrobe and go, I just have nothing to wear. I'm so jealous of what someone else has. Their house is bigger than mine. Their their chariot is nicer than mine. No, envy makes no sense when Jesus has saved your life. You walk around... Fulfilled. You walk around fulfilled. You walk around not having to try and stuff something else into your heart, the place where Jesus is meant to be. You don't walk around exhausted, trying to chase some golden a brass ring. You, you, you don't trying to get to some top of some corporate ladder of success you, or, or some safe safety level in a 401k. You don't have to do that anymore because Jesus saves your life. We're going to sing one last song. And while we do, I just want to encourage you to take your next step with Jesus. And for somebody here, uh, it could be that for the very first time, you say yes to Jesus. If that's you, I'd encourage you to go find a staff person after the service, go, go down to your campus pastor at whatever location you are. Just tell them, I, 
I want to I want to give my life to Christ and let them help you make that decision. For somebody else, your next step could be to say, you know what? I have struggled with this too long. I want to give this over to somebody. Maybe you get in a small group. You talk to other people about it. Maybe you get on a team because you realize, man, I could serve around here and help other people or come to Jesus and find what I have found. Maybe for you, it's taking your next step in generosity. Maybe for you, it is to say, you know what? I need to extend forgiveness to someone because Jesus has forgiven me. Maybe your next step is just to come back next week. Whatever your next step is, I encourage you to take it.